Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters, happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. You know, we always talk about uh, being the optimist, about positive thinking, about, you know, think happier thoughts and so you will become happier. And we know that, yes, leading a life that is filled with optimism, surrounding oneself with more optimistic people will tend to help us cultivate greater optimism and and happiness in our life. But the positive thinking is not enough. And that's what we're talking about today, that positive thinking will never change your life, that there are lots of elements that catalyze change. The thinking is just one component. And joining me today is David Essel. He's considered Mr. Motivation by Lifetime TV Network. He's also a nationally syndicated radio talk show host with both Westwood One and Premier Radio Clear Channel Communications. His show, David Essel Alive, is heard around the world on iHeartRadio. David is also a master business relationship and success coach, inspirational speaker, addiction recovery coach, and on top of that, all faiths minister. We're talking about his new book today, which I absolutely love this title, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, but this book will. It's his ninth, and it's with great pleasure I welcome you, David, to the show. Lisa, thank you. You know, the the, the message that you and I are sharing is identical, but that might surprise some people when you hear the title of our new book. Yes, 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 yes. Well, you know, um, it, there's the the realism that comes with positivity and happiness. You know, life is not always easy. And I think that that is the message that both of us embrace in the work that we do. And that's why I want to ask you, why is the power of positive thinking simply a myth? It's a huge myth. And and I'll tell you why. If it was so powerful, Lisa, you and I could follow different teachings that are out there um, that are very simplistic. They're very fun. They're very, very fun, like the secret and the law of attraction. And, And if those things actually worked, if it was so simple that your thoughts create things, 
then everyone from 2006 to today would have everything they could have ever wanted because all they had to do was create the vision board, say the affirmations with emotion, beginning with the words, I am, imagine checks coming in the mail, visualize your soulmate prancing up to your door, and we would have it all. You know, it right. It would like, be utopia. It would be. I mean, we'd all Bali would sink because we'd all have homes there. Um, you, you know, it, it, it just it's never worked. And as a matter of fact, you know, one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I made the same mistake. And for a number of years, Lisa, I taught from the a night from 1976 The very first time that I had heard, you can believe, if you believe it, you can achieve it. I went on a rampage and found every motivational quote possible, traveled the world as an inspirational speaker, telling people these things that are not true, unless, Lisa, Unless it's a miracle. And, and, and if it's a miracle, then you can have spontaneous healing. You can win the lottery tomorrow. There's all kinds of cool things that happen with, with miracles. But so many of these teachings make us think that if you just think it, you can achieve it. It's never been true. And that's why we wrote the book to give you, and, and it's not just me. You know, we, we went out and got six New York Times bestselling authors that agree with me to write in the book, five other incredibly successful people in the world of personal growth that agree with me. So it's not just David Essel on some kind of a little bandstand. It's the <laughs> world, you know, it's the world saying, let's wake up. Uh, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to a certain degree here. Without the positive thought without drawing our attention to having thoughts of something that are more productive, more helpful, more useful, more constructive, we cannot initiate action. Oh my gosh. Well, listen, here's what we say in the book. I am one of the biggest positive thinkers that you'll ever find, even while writing this book. You know, every morning I spend an hour meditation, gratitude, journaling, visualization. I do it all. But what we found in 30 years of work, Lisa, is that all of these techniques that we all love, you and me both, affirmations, visualization, gratitude, meditation, prayer, etc., will account for 20% of a successful person's success, whether it's in weight loss, making money, creating deep love, getting closer to your creator. 20% of your success only will be attributed to your thought process. And we do know from, you know, some incredible organizations like heartmath.org, heartmath.org for your listeners, that when you have a positive thought, there's a cascade of chemicals, serotonin, GABA, uh, dopamine, that are released into the brain that have a powerful effect on what we are able to think about and then hopefully use that as motivation to do. So, but it's only 20%. So when people wonder, why don't I have the body I want, the money I want, the love I want, or whatever it is that they want, it's not just the fact that they're not thinking correctly. It's the rest of the story, the 80%, which we go into great detail in the book about. Well, and let's talk a little bit about the 80% because that's, that is the uh, majority of where the shift happens. Yeah. Is it, in the it, other stuff. Yeah. And you know what? And this is what, and we even go into the psychology behind all this, you know, like there's, there's something called human nature and that we, we created this definition in our work in 1996 is the definition of human nature is our, and this is what runs in everyone's DNA. It's our desire to get the most out of life with minimal 
effort. <laughs> I'm laughing a huge belly laugh because I have this discussion every single day with clients that we are pleasure-seeking missiles and really adverse to discomfort. Absolutely, Lisa. You nailed it. You know, so so the eighty percent then is doing what you don't want to do on a daily basis until it becomes who you are. And in our research, we found that that takes approximately 12 months of repetition in order for it to become that person. So that would mean it would be 12 months of doing what you don't want to do to create money five days a week. It'd be 12 months of doing what you don't want to do to get the body you want five days a week for 12 months. And and why we, we picked this or how it came out in our individual research was that if someone goes through 12 months doing what they don't want to do, they're going through the seasons, they're going through holidays, they're going through birthdays, they're going through all those things that up- upset our schedule and our rituals. And once they're able to repeat what they'd rather not do, it goes into the subconscious, and we go into this huge discussion of the subconscious, conscious mind in the book. It goes into the subconscious mind, and once it's grounded in the subconscious, that's how people who smoke for 20 years would never smoke again. They'd never drink again. That were people who are emotional spenders. They'll, that after 12 months of following a program like this, they'll never buy something they don't need again. It, it's, it's so powerful, but that's the 80%, Lisa, what you teach and what I teach, that's it. I love, I'm just writing down something that you said, which was the emotional spenders, because that's, I have not heard that term before. I love it. And it is where most of our illusion resides, right? Is in the, the emotions and in our mind and yeah. where we get hung up in uh, affecting action, affecting change. Lisa, the core of every addiction, every dependency that is not healthy is our inability to deal with emotions. Yep. That's the bottom line. So a person that overeats, they're overeating because of emotions, not because of genetics, as people want to say. Well, you know, my mom and dad and aunt and uncle are all, you know, very overweight or obese or whatever. So it's genetic. Six percent of people who struggle with weight, it has a genetic cause. But that means 94 percent, it has nothing to do with genetics. Indeed. And the same with addiction, the same with depression and, and these other afflictions that people said, well, I'm just hardwired that way. It's in my DNA. I'm genetically predisposed for addi- uh, addiction. My father was an alcoholic. And all that means is that you've got the gene. It doesn't mean that you're going to be assigned the affliction. Absolutely. I mean, my, my, you know, I had an aunt that died of alcoholism. Alcoholism runs in my family. I was an alcoholic for over 20 years, a serious one. And I've been sober for years now. And how did I do it? I did it by doing what I did not want to do for 365 straight days, Lisa. I mean, it's, that's a simple example of us saying in our book, we know this works. Well, what I believe you're saying is you're teaching people how to raise their distress tolerance, that we know that these changes are not easy to make, but it is through the practice that the shift then becomes permanent. So in order to tolerate the things that we don't like, you know, exercise, eating cleanly, um, abstaining from substances that wreak havoc in our lives, these sort of things, is what is required, is to sort of man man up. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You know, and in the manning up, if we can do that and we can talk more later about the support teams we need and all that kind of stuff, within a year, it's not an effort anymore. What was once hard just becomes who we are, Lisa. 
beautifully said, we are going to dance off to a break. To learn more about David Essel and his new book, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, But This Book Will, please visit davidessel.com. And on Facebook, you can find him at, guess what, David Essel. And on Twitter, that handle is at David Essel. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. I promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Love to read? Looking to harvest your happiness? Then look no further. Lisa Cypress Kamen is an author of three amazing books that will assist in taking your well-being and self-mastery to the next level. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life offers breakthrough strategies for creating your own personal happiness revolution. Perspectives on addiction, an integrated journey to wellness is an overview of the recovery process from a multi-stepped perspective and holistic approach of substance abuse and lifestyle management. Through her third book, Reintegration Strategies for Depression, Anxiety, Anger, Grief, and Post-Traumatic Stress, offers an own nonsense approach to dealing with post-combat civilian life reintegration issues for veterans and their families. You'll find these books online at Amazon.com and HarvestingHappiness.com. Mindful meditative moments are free and relaxing on-the-spot mini staycation journeys designed to calm the mind and soothe the body from the comfort of wherever you are. No reservations or travel required. Check out the playlists on HarvestingHappiness.com and Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes and SoundCloud. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about how positive thinking is not enough to change your life. It's certainly helpful but it is not what makes all things happen and all shifts happen. And with me today is David Essel. He is an author. He is a coach. He's written nine books. He's been on the air with his own radio show, David Essel Alive, and that can be found on iHeartRadio. He's been on the air for decades. Um, the book, Positive Thinking Will Never Change Your Life, But This Book Will, and that's what we're talking about today. David, you mentioned in your book that the law of attraction is not factual. This may raise a few hairs. Let's talk about this. Yeah, you know, like we've been taught that if you think a certain way, you're going to attract a certain type of person to you. If you, you know, like a romantic person, it, that whatever you think about comes about. That's one of the most famous things, you know, one of the famous lines. Another line, and that's totally illusional. Um, does, it, does, it, does it make a difference how you think? Yes. 20% of your success is going to be based on having really powerful, emotionally driven, positive thoughts. But only 20%, Lisa. Um, another one that just drives us up the wall in, in the world of, um, of talking about reality versus illusion is in the law of attraction, they say, only do what feels right, what feels good. 
And, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's insane because you know, if, if you've ever talked to a bodybuilder, a competitive bodybuilder, you know, they do all kinds of stuff that doesn't feel good. If you've ever spoken to a motivational speaker, as I put my example in the book of speaking 200 times for free, having my mentor basically tear my first professional presentation apart in a loving way. Um, I had to go do another several hundred free before he let me pay, get char- be paid for my, my speaking. I had to work my tail off. Doctors, if you're going to be a doctor, an attorney, you're going to do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. If you're going to be a great parent, you're going to do a lot of stuff that feels like crap, like discipline. Hello? You know, it's like, so people have said this law of attraction, do what only feels good. You're, you're going to be in a plateau for the rest of your life if we truly follow this stuff, Lisa. We, we've got to actually do what doesn't feel comfortable. And we, we do want to give credence, 20% to the law of attraction for saying, yes, you know, a, a think great thoughts, but don't imagine it's going to bring to you the perfect job, the perfect partner, the perfect body, anything perfect if you don't work your tail off. Well, there's the hard work and there's actually, you know, the action step that, that, that we know that our emotions will shift as the result of action. So it's not just about, oh, you know, think happy thoughts and you will be happy. It's, you know, go out into the world and create happiness or contribute good work in the world and your emotions will shift as a result. And the same goes for any of these things that you're talking about. I, I believe, you know, whether it's weight loss, um, substance abuse, uh, finding the right partner. All of this comes from, you know, getting busy. Yes. Oh, you know, in, in, I mentioned earlier, you know, we have six New York Times bestselling authors that I approach for the book and all six of them within 48 hours sent me an email response back saying, thank God someone's writing the truth. And they all said, yes, they wanted to be a part of it. Diane Collins is a New York Times bestselling author. And the title of one of her books is, Do You Quantum Think? Now, here's a chick that knows the law of attraction, <laughs> the quantum thinking, the strength. If there's anyone that knows the truth about all of this stuff, it's her. She's, she's like, you know, a Deepak Chopra when it comes to quantum thinking. Um, and, and I asked her, I said, you know, what role, in order for you to set a goal and to become a New York Times bestselling author and a revered inspirational speaker who travels all over the world, like, what did it take? How did you quantum think your way to all of this success? You know, and she said, David, it took 400 interviews on radio before I broke through. Yeah, this is a process. This is a journey. Yeah, I do know. I do know. But it does come from right action. I think this is where the alignment of our purpose, of our integrity and our willingness to step outside of the comfort zone is what pulls us to the other side. Yeah. And there, there's some great quotes, you know, out in this world, and I cannot give credence to who, who would say this, but, you know, your success lies, what you just said, your success lies directly outside of your comfort zone. Oh, and, yes. Neil, Neil, was it uh, Neil Donald Walsh? Oh, it could be. It could be. He's great, you know. And, yes, he is. And, and there's so many really, really smart people that are doing awesome work that, are encouraging people. Another thing we say in our book, you know, not only do you have to get uncomfortable, you have to be held accountable, Lisa. You've got to have a team of people. 
that yes. are going to make sure that you do what you say you're going to do, that you're going to get up in the morning at a certain time, and you're going to get to the gym, that you're going to work on forgiving your parents for the abuse or the neglect, that you're going to work on forgiving your past partner for, uh, and I've got an amazing story on forgiveness if we have time. Um, you're going to have to work on forgiving your partner who cheated on you, stole from you. Like, this is work. You can't just turn the other cheek. There's no one on earth who's Jesus Christ that can just turn their other cheek and move on with life and forgive. Like, that stuff doesn't work to the human being. And, <laughs> you know, and as a matter of fact, can, do, do we have time to give a quick story? We have time to give a quick story, but I mean, it makes me want to go off into all these other stories. Okay. So, I mean, that's <laughs> a good thing. So, go. go. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about forgiveness. You know, people say, you know, like Buddha says that holding on to forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the opponent dies. Um, or he also says, you know, that holding on to forgiveness or, or a resentment, I should say, holding on to resentment is like holding a hot coal to throw at the person that you are resentful at and you get burned first. So we have all this nonsense about forgiveness, you know, or just forgive them because it's the right thing to do. Forgive them for your own health. Well, those are all great little tidbits of information, but it doesn't tell us what the heck to do. Scarlett Lewis is a friend of mine. And four years ago, exactly, her son, Jesse, six years of age, goes to school at Sandy Hook Elementary in Connecticut and is one of the 21 people gunned down, killed by Adam Lanza. Mm. It was only eight months after Jesse was murdered that I had Scarlett Lewis on my radio show. And I didn't know how I was going to ask this question, but I came out of the box after about 30 seconds of saying hello. And I said, Scarlett, have you reached any level of forgiveness with Adam Lanza, the man that shot down your six-year-old boy? And I was crying, Lisa, as I asked the question. Because I can't imagine having a six-year-old little son shot down. And her answer was this. She said, David, I'm 75% of the way there. Hmm. And I, I couldn't believe it, Lisa, you know. I said, because I'm, if I was in her position, all I could think about, I might be 10% of the way to forgiving the man that murdered my six-year-old. And I said, how are you there? Now, since then, and I'll go back to the story, but since then, I had Scarlett at one of my seminars a month ago, and she's like 90% have forgiven Adam Lanza. But how did you do it, Scarlett? And she said, David, I went into my rage. I went into my anger. I went into my resentment while my friends were saying to me, you know, God just needed another little angel, which is absolute crap. God doesn't need a little six-year-old another angel up there. The truth is, is that that has nothing to do with God in this case, my opinion, and Scarlett's opinion. It had to do with being a human being and facing that which we don't want to face. She had to go into her rage and anger through all kinds of modalities, Lisa, in order to come up on the other side to forgive Adam Lanza, now she travels the world. She goes and talks to murderers in prison about their need to forgive themselves for what they've done in killing other people. She is off the charts incredible. And, and at the seminar a couple weeks ago when she said she's like 90% there, I said, what do you do when that 10% comes up? She said, I stop, I write, and I go into my anger, David. I never avoid it. And this is a, a, a beautiful story. I mean, really illustrating the point of when we lean in to those things that are most uncomfortable, usually the process is, is not as horrible once we step over the threshold. Nobody wants to lose their child. It is the, one of the most 
awful. I mean, I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, you and I are thinking the same thing. It's a horrible thing. I mean, it's, it's the unnatural order of the way the world should work. And, and you know, Jesse was, um, was recently, about six weeks ago, he was on the cover, I think it was in the New York Post, and, they, and one of the teachers came out. Now, this is three years later, and I guess the teacher couldn't share it until this moment, but said um, before Adam Lanza came into his classroom, Jesse stood up and started running across the front of the room telling all of his classmates to run. Mm. And Adam Lanza saw him running across the room screaming this out and immediately shot him down and killed him. Um, and, you know, like I, I have tears right now. Yeah. Yep. You know, Scarlett Lewis is such an amazing teacher for us and she's proving you can't positively think your way through pain to forgive someone of any ink, you know, murdering someone in your family or cheating on you or betraying you in any way. You, you can't positively think your way through any of this stuff, Lisa, you have to work your tail off. And that's why I committed this whole book to waking up this world. Enjoy positive thinking for the 20% that it's going to give to you. But get off your butt. Get help. Coaches, ministers, therapists, personal trainers, nutritionists, whatever the heck you have to do. Like get away from the thought that whatever you think you can create, get rid of that crap. And let's do the work to change ourselves, which will change everyone around us. So let's talk a little bit about outsourcing support and accountability partnerships and enlisting the tribe or, or cultivating a tribe if we don't have one in our, in our immediate orbit, what it takes to, to affect change. I mean, you, you mentioned a list of people. And I, I say you take one step. You have one person that believes in you and holds space for you when you can't hold it for yourself and holds your feet to the fire to take, start taking baby steps. Yeah. You've got to have someone who's willing to not put up with your crap. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Like you've got to have someone that's going to say, Hey, listen, no, that that's an excuse. I I know you're tired, but you said you were going to go to the gym and meet me at seven o'clock. That's an excuse. Get in here. You know, like seriously, Lisa, you, you, you can't have someone who's codependent in your life. You can't have a super friend that'll never, you know, challenge you. And that's why we say in the book, the best way to go is usually with a professional to start with a minister, a therapist, a coach, a, tr- a personal trainer, someone who is not going to be swayed by your excuses so that you can get what you want out of life. Exactly. You know, what do you want to change and what are you willing to do about it? And by when and what are the steps? Absolutely. You know, that's, I mean, that's really the nutshell. Um, we're out of time. That just blew by. Positive thinking will never change your life, but this book will. The ninth book by David Essel. To learn more, please visit davidessel.com. On Facebook, that page is David Essel. And on Twitter, the handle is at David Essel. Go out and make it a great day. Thank you, David, so much. Lisa, this was a blast. Thank you, honey. Thank you. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.
Remember what it feels like to receive a gift? We all know nothing gives happiness like a present, so you should unwrap yours at harvestinghappiness.com and sign up to receive your free ebook, Got Happiness Now, that offers simple, user-friendly ways to get greater happiness in your world each and every day. That's harvestinghappiness.com. Lisa Cypress Cayman has built an impressive global lifestyle management consulting company offering applied positive psychology, mindfulness, and integrated well-being coaching. Her services, including addiction and trauma recovery support, as well as life crisis triage, are available worldwide through phone, video, and on-site. In addition, Lisa delivers workshops, lectures, and trainings to corporations and institutions and is a frequent guest expert on many prominent radio and TV shows. Connect with us at Harvesting Happiness for more information. Harvesting Happiness for Heroes is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation offering innovative and integrated stigma-free combat recovery services to veterans and their loved ones with programming that focuses on the transformation of post-traumatic stress into post-traumatic growth using scientifically proven positive psychology coaching tools and strategies that increase self-mastery, self-awareness, and self-esteem to help heal the invisible wounds of war. To make a tax-free charitable contribution or to learn more, please visit hh4heroes.org. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about positive thinking and how positive thinking is actually not what it really takes to change your life. It's helpful. It's a catalyst. It's an influencer. But now we're going to talk about the science of happiness, which is so much in my wheelhouse and really uh, what drives my work. And my next guest, is the author of The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. I want to welcome Dr. Emma Seppola. She is the author of the book, The Happiness Track. She's the science director of Stanford University's Center of Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. She's a leadership writer for Harvard Business Review and a leading expert on health psychology, well-being, and resilience. Dr. Seppola is a sought-after speaker, most recently at TEDx Sacramento, Google, Apple, Facebook, Ernst & Young, and the U.S. Congress. She's been featured in the New York Times, Huffington Post, Chicago Tribune, and many more national media outlets. Welcome, Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you with us. This is You are the quintessential uh, happiness uh, guest to me. So I am, I'm so happy and honored to support you and celebrate your new book. Let's talk about why finding happiness and fulfillment, the most productive thing that we can do to thrive professionally. Well, many people have the misconception that in order to be successful, they have to postpone or even sacrifice their happiness. And that's why we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of people, very few people actually take all of their vacation days and people are working around the clock. But actually, if you look at the data, if you take better care of yourself and those people around you, you actually are more focused, more productive, more resilient, more charismatic 
you are more creative, more likely to come up with breakthrough ideas and much more influential. In the end, you're actually much more successful. So I wanted to write this book to kind of disprove this myth that many of us are, um, are really buying into. You know, it's funny, the, the line from the old moving, I think it was The Shining comes to mind, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 I know what you're saying is true because I know from my own work experience and I work in the same field as you that when I am so linear in my thinking and driving so hard in the production mode that I am actually not as creative and I'm very in the very left brain mode and when I go out and I, and I play and I create you know something artistic or I even just go hiking I start activating other parts of my mind and I come back refreshed and more laser targeted in the work absolutely right absolutely correct and many people right now are trying to disrupt their industry and come up with innovative solutions and in fact across the board CEOs look for creativity as the number one trait they look for in incoming employees. And yet <clears throat> with this laser-like focus that everyone wants you to have, you know, everyone talks about the fact that it's so terrible to, um, to have your mind wander when you should be focusing all the time, that people are trying to, you know, be less distracted and more and more focused. Uh, and yet in order to access creativity, you need to let that uh, that your brain go into delta wave mode, which is that place right before sleep or that place when you're daydreaming, when you're on a hike, for example, and letting your mind wander. But that's when you have your bra- breakthrough ideas, your creative insights. Talk a little bit more about the delta wave mode and how we can um, support that or make more of that happen. You know, like I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Give right. me the delta. <laughs> well, f- for example, look at kids. I mean, they are probably the most creative individuals in our society. They can create worlds out of nothing. They can create forts out of pillows. They can, every, anything can become a toy for them. And yet they are always in that kind of state of, um, uh, that daydreamy state where they're, uh, they're in a state of play, like you were saying. Salvatore Dali knew that that was a great place to access his creativity. So he actually um, would sit in a chair and let himself doze off and he would, hold a, um, a key in his hand. And as soon as he actually fell asleep, it would hit a metal plate and make a loud noise and wake him up. And he would start again. The idea being he was trying to access that part of his brain that was that, was that delta wave mode, that really daydreamy, really um, maybe even a little sleepy state right before sleep or that you're in when you're just sitting around doing nothing. And these days, given our cell phone um, habits and so forth, we could go an entire day without ever accessing that because, you know, in the past we used to wait for the bus and we'd just wait for the bus. And now we are always on our mobile device. Point well taken. And when we are on our mobile device, we are in left brain, right? We're very focused. Even if you're on Facebook or you think you're taking a break from work, you're focused. Whatever it is you're looking at, you're reading, you're focusing, you're giving your full attention, which is not allowing you to access those parts of your brain that are creative, that are innovative, that come up with breakthrough solutions, new insights. And some of the ways that we can do this, I know we just talked about hiking, but and talked about creativity, going out, making art, doing any kind of expressive activity that helps, you know, loosen up that part. But there's a, there are two other ways that I know of, and I think you and I share um, similar practices in this, and that is through yoga and meditation. 
Yeah, absolutely. Meditation is um, <clears throat> and yoga are definitely ways to do that. I, I certainly have had some a lot of ideas come to me in meditation. Um, but another one, though, is also to diversify your activities. So go read about or study or learn something completely different from what you do every day. You know, go take a pottery class or an electric guitar class or um, travel to a country you've never been. Let yourself be completely uprooted. Those kind of situations, the research suggests, will allow you to be more creative because you start to connect the dots in different ways, completely novel ways. And this also touches upon the values and action, the strengths that strengths that were developed or identified uh, by Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania, that when people are known to be in that curious state and wonderment, <clears throat> which is that childlike state that allows us to um, not have judgment, you know, to sort of have a, mm -hmm. a, a clean slate in the mind, that we tend to... Um, resonate at a higher level of emotional well-being, uh, i.e. happiness. Right. And the other thing is that when you really allow yourself to let go and be in the moment with whatever it is you're doing or not doing, um, you can access that state of flow, which Martin Seligman has talked about, but also um, uh, uh, other psychologists, that state where you forget the passage of time, where you are absolutely one with what you're doing. And in that moment, um, you experience very high states of happiness. And you'll see that um, research also shows that our mind wanders 50% of the time. So 50% of the time, we are not present with what we're doing. And yet, if you look at the research, we are happiest when we are in the present moment. Get this, even if you're doing something you don't like doing. <laughs> so you're happier doing whatever it is, the laundry or the dishes, if you're doing that 100% rather than having your mind wander to, you know, Hawaii or something. Okay, I want to I want to back up for a second here because you see you said like probably the most tweetable, quotable thing that everybody should pass on that 50% of the time our minds wander. Yep, that's 50%. right. 50%. That that is an astounding statistic and I did not know that. I do however know that doing the laundry fully present, like almost like a meditation can be blissful. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, like folding laundry. In fact, I've had conversations with clients about this, you know, like how can you, and this is going to sound really corny, how can you like make love to life? You know, how can you show up and be fully loving to the activity that you're doing, even if you're not really enjoying the activity, that it's not on your to-do list, like my top five yes. favorite happy things, you know, like yes. laundry or cleaning the kitchen or the toilets. <laughs> exactly. But you'll often find, you know, something that you've procrastinated on. It could be your taxes or something that's due. And finally, in the last hour, you have to get it done. Well, in that moment, you're so immersed in the task because you're on deadline that sometimes you're like, oh, I'm actually enjoying this. <laughs> and you surprise yourself. Yes. Yes. I, we're going to go to a break in a couple of minutes. And when, and when we come back, I want to talk with you about the postponement of happiness. Because you, you mentioned it when we first started talking, and this is something that is, uh, I think, very cultural, very Western culture, the conditional happiness that when I get wealthy or when I have the time or when, you know, when I reach certain milestones that I hold as the marker for having an accomplishment that then I can allow myself the opportunity to be happy. And this is, uh, this is, the, this is the worst, actually. It's what compromises our happiness. 
Uh, absolutely right. We are always putting a condition on what it is that will make us happy, but that changes all the time. So in a sense, you are um, placing an impossible condition because let's say you're ha- you think you'll be happy when you actually get a job, then you get the job, but then all of a sudden, well, I'll be happy when I have a partner. Okay, great. So then you have a partner and then all of a sudden, well, I'll be happy when I have um, a mortgage and then I'll be happy when, and it goes on and on. You can go your entire life, um, in fact, that way. And I remember asking my 80-something-year-old grandfather who is dying of cancer uh, when I was 20, I said, you know, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And he said, I don't either. Oh, that's fabulous. It was, it really, I don't know, really made me think. <laughs> yeah. But do we have to know? Or can we, you know, go, going back to that state of living our lives with wonder and curiosity and delight and eliminating um, expectations is I, yep. I, I think the older I get, you know, I'm not 80, but I'm not 30 either. I, I see that, you know, just allowing myself to experience what is and being open to what will come, you know, that I'm on this track and think that my life should go one way. And then life intervenes on life's terms. That's right. And the thing is that it's it's only when we lose something that we really become aware of what we had. And so, you know, we maybe we lose it. Our, our, the moments of our children's childhood. All of a sudden, they're adults, or all of a sudden, they're teenagers. And we say, oh my goodness, I wish I had enjoyed that time more. And that goes for pretty much everything. You know, Even moments that we think we weren't very happy, we'll often look back and be like, oh, but I liked living in that place, and I had that special friend, and this and that. You know, And so it, it really brings back that uh, importance of just really, really feeling grateful for what we have and savoring. And research shows that that ability to savor what you have increases the pleasure that much more and the happiness. Uh, and that's definitely how we want to live, um, you know, because like you said, we never know how long we have and we really don't know. Um, we, we don't know how long we'll have any of the things we currently have, our health, our house, our well-being, whatever it is. Um, and there's, uh, there's a story of this Japanese Zen monk. Emma, I'm going to need to jump in here and take us to break. And when we come back, we're going to carry on the discussion with Dr. Emma Seppala to learn more about her and her book, The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. Please visit the website, emmaseppala.com. On Facebook, that page is Emma underscore Seppala. And on Twitter, the handle is at Emma Seppala. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Harvest more happiness by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Lisa Cypress-Kamen author of Got Happiness Now, is also a prestigious TEDx presenter. Her talks, The Mysteries of Fear and the Inversion Theory of Joy, can be found online at TED.com and on the Harvesting Happiness YouTube channel. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, 
members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. Check out the critically acclaimed documentary film, H Factor, Where is Your Heart? An insightful visual journey from Lisa Cypress Kamen, showing that every person possesses the means to be happy. Follow Lisa and her nine-year-old daughter, Kayla, as they travel the world on the hunt for the universal keys to human happiness. Their question, what makes you happy? Discover the origins of human happiness, where to find it, create it, and keep it. Find it in our shop at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen, the show dedicated to promoting happiness from the inside out by thriving with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. So let's get back to the show and your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we are talking about the science of happiness, and it is so much more than simply positive thinking. My guest today is Dr. Emma Seppala. She is the author of The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to accelerate your success. So we're talking about this from a very scientific perspective, not from so much a feelings or annoying a yellow smiley face perspective. Emma, prior to the break, you had begun to tell a story, and I would love for you to to finish that. I have to interrupt you, and I'm sorry. That's totally fine. I once heard this story, and I and I think about it often about a um, a Buddhist monk and his. Um, a Buddhist monk who who had a very tragic lifestyle in Japan. He, I think, he had about seven kids, and all of them died. Then his wife died. I mean, really um, sad. I don't know if it was a Buddhist monk or it's a story of a Buddhist man. <laughs> I can't recall exactly. But he was a poet, and he. Um, at the end, he was just so poor that there was a crack in his roof and snow came and fell onto his bed. And he wrote a poem saying, even these snowflakes on my sheets are a gift from, uh, I think they say from the land of the Buddhas or something. And it, it's such a striking poem given the tragedy of his life. And it keeps, um, it really reminds you of, you know, the way that we choose to look at things. Research shows three times more positive things happen to us every day than negative. And yet one negative thing can color everything. One negative phone call, one, one email, one um, word from someone and boom, we just feel like our life is terrible. And yet if we step back just a moment and take a perspective, there's a lot of things going our way. Yes. Us humans, we are quantum leapers, aren't we? Well, correct. And the brain is, um, we know that the brain does focus on the negative, that negative uh, fear-inducing, anger-inducing information is going to uh, take a hold more than positive information, which is what, by the way, the um, the news world capitalizes on. It's uh, by triggering our anxiety that they get our attention. And, and this is information I also have heard from many journalists. It's not just my opinion. Um, and yet, 
we need to be aware of this bias because this bias may have helped our ancestors in the past. Uh, there may be an evolutionary reason for it. For example, our ancestors uh, needed to remember that that encounter that you know Aunt Sally had with the tiger didn't end well, and that needed to be ingrained in their memories forever. Um, but nowadays, you know, the fact that we focus on the negative can actually um, make us less realistic because of this fact that three times more positive things happen to us every day. You know, if you have the time to listen to those podcasts, you presumably live in a, you know, in, in a country that's hopefully safe, uh, where you have the time to listen to this, where you can download this, where you've probably had three square meals a day, where you probably have a roof over your head and so forth and so on. There are so many more positive things happening to all of us than negative. And this is where the science comes in. And this is where just thinking those, those happy thoughts don't make us happy. It's really about employing uh, an action plan using the science and what science has discovered about our emotional well-being to change it. And this is the good news. I think. <laughs> yes. And it's about awareness and, and, and just remembering, you know, how good we have it. Um, I've worked a lot with veterans um, who went to Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and one of them that I've met, he's very young, but very, very positive and happy. And he said, uh, you know, when I was in Iraq, every single day, I thought it was going to be my last day. So I lived every day like it was my last. And now he's this incredibly mature young man, because he know he continues to live like that. And, and that's really a model for all of us, because what he said is true. And it's true for all of us, actually, whether or not we're in war. And, you know, I would challenge that each one of us is at war at some point in our lives, usually not to the extreme of the young man that you just described, but it's the war that lives with inside of us. We're battling our thoughts. We're battling the the negativity, the mind chatter, the things that really hold us back are not our external circumstance, but the internal one. Right. And, you know, many, um, many people struggle with um, anxiety and um, other, other kinds of forms of, uh, of, problems like sleep problems and so forth. And one of the reasons is that we live in a state of high adrenaline. We believe that in order to get things done, we need that extra coffee. We need to overschedule ourselves, wait till the last minute to get things done, overcommit. And these are things that that we do. And when we feel tired, we just think, well, I just need some more caffeine. So we live in this state where we're actually putting our nervous system into constant fight or flight mode, like that high stress mode, which usually is reserved only for moments of life or death. Yet we've come to believe that, no, 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 in order to get things done, I need to just fuel up on caffeine and just go, go, go. But that's the reason we're seeing so much anxiety. It's so much burnout and so much fatigue. People are coming home exhausted. They're burning out. 50% 50% of Americans across industries are burning out. 70% of the American workforce is disengaged at work. And we're just, we're not doing hard labor. Most of us are not working hard labor. Most of us are sitting at a desk. There's no reason for us to be so exhausted and so anxious. And yet we are doing, we are, many of us are doing that. And that's what's um, living in that high adrenaline mode is actually wearing us out. So, yeah. One of the things I really encourage is for people to actually nurture the other side of their nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, the calming response through things like breathing, which I researched with veterans, very effective, meditation, um, time in nature, taking time off of work makes you more productive in the end. So just do it. (laughs) I mean, Americans have less vacation than any other country, and most Americans don't take it. And those Americans that do take it, 91% are checking their work email. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm laughing because I know this to be true. I, this is um, this is a fact. We are overworked, underrested, and underplayed. You know, we don't we don't we, which mm. we mentioned before. We don't we don't play enough. We don't sleep enough. Most of us are uh, sleep deprived. This is another factor that mm. contributes to depression and 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 illness. Correct. Absolutely. And and so. Um, but again, why people might wonder, well, why like everybody's doing this, like this, there's, it, there's got to be something right about it. And yes, the United States is one of the most productive, industrious countries in the world, clearly. But it's also one of the countries with the largest <laughs> burnout rates. And if you look at why we've fallen into these um, traps of overworking, underresting, it's very much influenced by the Protestant work ethic, which... In, um, you know, our ancestors were uh, had had this belief that in order to prove themselves and their worth in the eyes of God, they had to be productive. It was their life's work. And also, our, our ancestors also the immigrant work culture, which is one of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go, go, go to survive. So there's no, it's not a big surprise that this culture is so industrious. Um, but we need to find a balance. It's time to find a balance because what, what's, what we're doing is not working clearly. And we really need to look at, yes, the resiliency, the hardiness, the ability to bounce back in the face or after adversity is is key to people that report themselves to be happy. I would say that most happy people will say, you know, it's not that I've had an easier life. I've just been able to deal with the things that have happened in my life in a more positive and constructive manner than maybe my less happy counterparts. Right. And there are a couple of ways to build resilience that I found and that I talk about in the happiness track. Um, one of the ways is, um, is through breathing. So I've worked with some of the most stressed individuals in our society, which are veterans with, um, uh, coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan with trauma and they're stuck in a permanent state of fight or flight. So that trauma is basically keep them, keeping them in a permanent state of anxiety and yet after only a week of doing yoga-based breathing, a breathing practice called Sudarshan Kriya, um, they were able to, uh, their trauma and anxiety levels dropped to subclinical levels. They were able to continue with their life. And one month later and one year later, the results were maintained, showing that, you know, through the breath, they were able to recalibrate their system back to normal. And so I always emphasize breathing, something that we take for granted, don't think about, don't take seriously. And yet it is extremely powerful way for you to regain your composure, for you to come back to a state of resilience, of calmness, of healing. Um, so really encourage people to look into that. that you can learn the practice. Um, if you're a veteran th- uh, for free of charge uh, through um, Project Welcome Home Troops, and if you're a community member through an organization called um, Art of Living. And um, the second form of resilience boosting is um, self-compassion, which sounds very soft. Yes. But research shows it's extremely powerful. So um, self-criticism is our usual modus operandi. We think, well, in order to self-criticism leads to self-improvement, right? Wrong. Research shows that self-criticism actually is basically self-sabotage. It makes you less resilient in the face of failure, more likely to be anxious and depressed when you make a mistake. Self-compassion is that ability to treat yourself like a friend, that ability to speak to yourself with the same words you would to a friend. So an example I often give is imagine you're in a marathon, first marathon ever, and you trip and fall, uh, and one person on the sideline says, oh, you're such a failure. Why are you even doing this? This is ridiculous. You're not a runner. And another person (laughs) says, oh, everybody falls. It's totally no big deal. You can totally do this. 
So that's how self-criticism versus self-compassion sounds in your own mind. <laughs> and so it's no wonder that self-compassion is linked to much greater learning in the face of failure, resilience um, to um, anxiety and depression, feeling better and even health-wise improving, um, and, and your relationships are much better. And I would think in the, uh, not think, as I would think, I do think as both sitting on both sides of the equation as, as, as being a client myself of these techniques and also sitting with clients who are employing these techniques, that when we can give ourselves the kindness and compassion and love that we would want to extend, let's say, to our children, when we give it to ourselves, we tend to be happier. You know, we, we tend to be more satisfied and contented in our lives. We are out of time. I mean, I can't believe we have blown through this, which means you'll have to come back and talk with us again. I want to give um, you my heartfelt thanks, Dr. Emma Sapala, for joining us. And the book is The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. The website is www.emmasepala.com. The Facebook page Emma underscore, no, it's Emma dot Seppala. Once again, that Facebook page, I gave it to you wrong in the prior segment, is Emma dot Seppala. And on Twitter, the handle is at Emma Seppala. Thank you. Thank you, Emma, for being with us. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, David Essel and Dr. Emma Seppala, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.